Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 111 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. So this week, I'll reveal the exciting news I have for you. And with rising temperatures outside, clipped queens have been both a blessing and a conundrum. They just don't always do what you read in the books. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm grateful to Honeypaw Hives for sponsoring in part our podcast for this season. Honeypaw Hives, as I'm sure you're aware, are Polly Langstroth Hives, and we're setting up an apiary full of their hives this season, courtesy of Honeypaw. Check out their range of hives and other equipment on their website, and I'll leave links to all of the websites in the show notes as usual. Honeypaw Hives, designed by beekeepers for beekeepers. Welcome back, everyone, especially to those of you who continue to get the very latest podcasts each week as they're released. If you'd like to be the first to hear the weekly podcast, then pop over to my Patreon page and check out the podcast tier there. So last week, I threw out a teaser about some exciting news, and I posted a picture of the event on my Patreon page just a couple of days ago. And that news is I've finally got too fed up with falling over my own feet in the honey extraction room that I've signed the lease on a small commercial unit here in Norwich and I've been moving in over the past seven days or so. It's a bit of a personal milestone for me and something I've been hoping to do for some time. It means I can gather up all of my essential beekeeping equipment together in one place and not end up scratching my head trying to figure out where on earth I left the last box of jars or have to drive over to the workshop to count up how many sheets of brood foundation I have for those Langstroth hives, for instance. The very best part is that I can now set out the honey room section of the unit in the best possible configuration to make the process of uncapping and extracting honey as easy as I can, and that should really see save a lot of time and also reduce the frustrations. It also means I can have people help out like Steph and Pete in the honey room and for us not to fall over each other's feet. The unit is just an empty shell at the moment and I'm taking it over from a chap who made some very nice improvements to it by fitting a false ceiling and putting in better lighting and He also added a row of kitchen units along one wall, so there's already a little bit of storage and the walls are painted nice and white, so it makes for a nice bright environment. The grand plan is to section off the rear of the unit into the honey extraction area so that I can keep that nice and clean for honey and food production, as I'm hoping to get back on track with some of the other products that we used to produce. The front of the unit has a roller shutter door as well as a standard door to get in, And that's been really useful for bringing in all of the equipment, but will also be great for moving in the heavy honey supers without having to negotiate a doorway that's not quite big enough and scraping my knuckles down the doorframe. I can see it will be really quite chilly in the winter, so a partitioned wall and hopefully teaching room that will double up as an office for me will also be on the wish list but that will have to wait as the cost of building the stud walls is beyond me currently if there are any builders listening 
that fancy swapping a day's work for a day's mentoring, then do get in touch. Although I do have a very good friend who's a top-notch builder plasterer, so I'm hoping that I can twist his arm to get him over to price the job up for me. So honey extraction is the main task being planned for the unit, along with storage and bottling of honey for sale, but I shall also hold some stock of our favourite supplies, such as the Appymix syrups and fondants, in case any local beekeepers want to pop in and buy some to avoid the delivery charges, which can be quite astronomical, really. I'll also have our microscopes at the unit, and I plan to produce a wider range of videos from the comfort of the unit, where we'll have the room to set everything up to allow us the space to fully demonstrate all of the tips and techniques involved. Of course, the unit comes with its own set of financial burdens, and those, whilst not huge, will keep me totally focused on my work, and I think that's a good thing. And the pressure of having to make sure that I'm at the unit regularly means I'll be moving forward every day I'm there. I'm really excited to share this news with you, and hope I can use it to improve the quality and quantity of the content that we put out there for everybody. I'll post some more pictures and maybe shoot a virtual tour video so you can see what I've been talking about in the very near future. In other news, it's been a complete change in the weather conditions this week. The chilly blast we had has given way to temperatures in the low 20s centigrade, that's about 68 to 75 degrees Fahrenheit I would guess, sunny conditions with overnight temperatures set to rise into double figures for the first time in a long time, certainly this year. It has meant more colonies trying to swarm. Thank goodness that this year I've clipped some queens. I think we've missed about 10 colonies that had swarmed and left the clipped queen stranded outside the hive. I did find a swarm that had made it into a hawthorn bush, so it may well be that it's a queen that I didn't clip or one that wasn't clipped quite as much as it should have been and she made it up into the bush. We managed to shake them into a honey-poor Polly Langstroth hive and settle them down on a pallet, so it looks like we managed to hold on to that one too. So there's another reason to like the honey-poor hives. I could never have lifted a wooden commercial hive into the bush. It would have been too heavy for me. Instead, it would have been a shake-out into a cardboard box and then another shake-out of that box into the hive. That, of course, is with the understanding that I always carry a box with me for the purpose of swarm collecting, but that's not always the case. I used to have a skep for swarm collections, but it fell apart on me last season. Perhaps I'll have to invest in another one of those too. Anyway, I popped back to check on the swarm a couple of days later and added a feeder, so I'm hoping this week they'll have drawn all of the brood frames and be ready for a super. It's amazing just how quickly a swarm can set about building comb. It's what they're programmed to do, of course, but even so, it's always fascinating to see, especially when I have a normal colony that I added a few frames of foundation to a couple of weeks ago, and they still haven't even looked at it. I guess it's all about priorities for them, really. While we were inspecting the colonies last week, Pete noticed a small puddle of bees in the long grass. It was one of the other colonies that had tried to swarm, but with a clipped queen. This time, she'd fallen into the grass a few metres away from the hive, and although the majority of the bees had gone back to the hive, a large cupful of bees had stayed with her. Now, normally, I wouldn't have bothered to attempt anything with her, but Pete was keen to rescue her, so we popped her into a queen cage for safekeeping. Dashed back to the workshop, picked up a nuke box, 
and a frame of emerging brood from one of Pete's colonies shot back to the field of oilseed rape and set her up on one frame inside a three-frame division of one of the BS Honey two-in-one nuke boxes. The frame had plenty of food in it, so no need at that time to give them any additional food, but when I returned to check up on the other swarm, I did pop a feeder on Pete's new queen and gave them about a pint of syrup. This week, we'll gather them up and take them back to the workshop for Pete to nurture through the rest of the season. He has a few options which will see this queen into the autumn. He could use her to replace another queen he has that's been a bit problematic. He could add a frame of emerging brood from one of the other colonies each week for a few weeks to boost the overall population of the colony. By doing this, he reduces the numbers in other colonies, but if they're growing very large, they won't miss a frame or two. Doing this will increase the small colony up to numbers that could even produce a super of honey for him. Or he could simply leave her to her own devices and develop them into a six-frame nuke over the summer for overwintering. Pete's growing a nice little apiary, you know. I think he must be up to about six or seven hives at the back of the workshop. Soon there'll be a honey for sale sign outside his house, I'm sure. Talking of the workshop, I'm not going to move out of it just yet. With the added space, we'll have more room for our combined projects in woodwork, and it's a great location for cleaning hives and boiling frames. And it's very affordable rent too, so it would be foolish to simply stop using it. Where would I find another Pete anyway? Just going back to the little colony I've just created for him, the clipped queen in this instance dropped to the floor outside the hive exactly as it gets described in the books, with a small puddle of bees to look after her, but it doesn't always work out that way. This year particularly, I've found far more clipped queens clinging to the underside of the open mesh floors. I don't remember reading about this, but it seems to have happened with more clipped queens this year than any other. But of course, I've only just started clipping queens again, so it might be that it's a regular occurrence. The queen attempts to crawl back into the hive, but somehow gets a little misdirection and ends up clinging to the underside of the open mesh floor. The easiest way I've found of dealing with this is to break down the hive to just the brood box and floor. Lift off the brood box onto a queen excluder, which is on top of however many supers, or just the roof and crime board and then gently pick up the floor and turn it over. Very often, I've spotted the marked and clipped queen in the swarm and been able to cage her. That makes the whole process a lot easier, as the next step is to hold the floor above another empty hive and give it a good shake. I should say, make sure if you try this that you remove most of the frames. Once the bees are in the brood box, replace the frames and run the queen out of the cage onto the top bar where she simply disappears down the side of the frame and into the box. Put it all back together again and that's the job done. I leave the new hive with the swarm in it close to the original hive to catch any of the swarming bees that have been flying out foraging or scouting for a better location but they do seem to feel at home under the floor, as seen by the brace comb that they start to build fairly rapidly if you don't happen to spot them quickly. This last week, I may have put the horse before the cart, so to speak. I discovered a large cluster of bees under the floor on one of the colonies, so, following my own advice, I broke down the hive and carried out my floor shake method of increasing colonies. Then, having put everything back together, went through the parent hive to knock down all of the queen cells bar one. Halfway through, 
what should I see but the original clipped queen, wandering around on a frame, laying eggs as if she'd never been out of the hive. As I continued through the inspection, there were a few queen cells, but only one of them had been sealed, and it looked like it had only just been sealed at that. So what on earth had happened here? Well, we have a couple of possibilities, maybe. Firstly, they had indeed swarmed, and the old queen had made it back into the hive, and the sealed queen cell is actually a bit older than it looked. Maybe they hadn't swarmed at all, and in fact the bees beneath the hive were just overflow from the main hive that had become confused and clustered under the hive instead of going back inside at night when the temperature drops. Unlikely, I would say. Or how about these bees don't actually belong to this hive at all, and are a completely different swarm from another hive. I say this because the hive next to this one, on the same twin stand, which, by the way, are working really well. These are the stands that Pete made for me. Anyway, the colony on this stand next to the one I'm inspecting had also swarmed, so maybe it's the bees from that hive. What I should have done is carried out the inspection first to identify the queen was already inside the brood box, and then I could have shaken all the bees back into the hive because I think the most likely reason for the cluster of bees beneath the hive is that they came from the same hive with the original queen and she made it back into the hive after all, but the swarm had settled under the floor. That said, once the bees had settled into the new hive that I shook them into, and that was the honey-poor Polly Langstroth hive, the bees were fanning at the entrance and encouraging other bees to join them in their new home, so maybe there was a queen in the cluster after all. It'll be interesting to see what the situation is when I go back in a few days to see how they are and add a feeder and syrup. It's one of the things I really love about beekeeping. The bees have a tendency to keep me on my toes and constantly teach me something new each week. Finally, I wanted to mention the oilseed rape crop that we're currently helping pollinate. It's almost the last week of May and it's still in flower, albeit in a much reduced quantity, having almost run to seed across the entire field. But it's been really interesting how the crop has developed and what we've seen again this year. So to remind you, the variety is called Ambassador and not one that I'm familiar with. I think it's a new variety this year. You'll perhaps remember that I said I'd taken a mix of nukes and full-size colonies to the pollination job to build up those nukes as fast as we could, and to hopefully generate a crop of honey from the full-size hives. Well, it looks like the bees are going to deliver a half-decent crop of honey after all. Not like the massive crops of honey you hear of from the so-called good old days when bee farmers were all over 70 and had long grey beards. You know the types. Kind of a beekeeping Gandalf. Keepers of the old law of beekeeping. Well, anyway, I think Ambassador might be worth having bees on. The vast majority of colonies are going to produce a surplus of around two supers of honey, while the most prolific colony is now on its seventh super. Now, I know I've just done what I said I wouldn't do, which is brag about my honey crop, but to put it into perspective, I have just one colony with seven supers on, and yes, six of them are full of honey, but it is the rarest exception. They're hard-working, nasty bees that try to sting me as soon as the roof comes off, and I wouldn't recommend them to anyone else. But boy, are they storing the honey. 
Honestly, it's the first time I've ever had a seven super skyscraper, and my mind wanders into a daydream of what if all the colonies had seven supers? Of course, reality kicks in very quickly when you see swarms and chronic bee paralysis virus and drone layers, which incidentally we've had only one this spring so far, so maybe it was atmospheric conditions last year and not poor drones that was causing the problem. So getting back to the honey situation at the oilseed rape, we currently have a nectar flow on and it always seems to happen right at the end of the flowering period. You can tell this because if you're not careful when you inspect, your bee suit will be soaking wet with nectar that's dripped out of the brood frames as you inspect them and you'll see pretty much every frame in the brood box filled with nectar as the bees struggle to get it up into the supers fast enough. So, happy days right now. Next week is honey extraction week, so I'll go through putting the clearer boards on and what types I use and why, and I'll report back on exactly how we get on with the actual honey extracted in a couple of weeks or so. I do hope you're also enjoying a spring nectar flow and your supers are filling up with golden honey to reward you for all the hard work that you're putting into your bees. Well, that's it for this week. Have a great beekeeping week. Stay safe and please do remember to check out my Patreon page where you can access lots more content. That's www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. I'm Stuart Spinks and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Beekeeping short and sweet.